Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It came down to not just what's happening in this exact moment, but how we're going to set the course between now and next year as we work through this current budget and we help the mayor's office work through these last final days of putting the final product together and how we gear up for next year's budget. But hopefully we're going to be on the other side of this pandemic. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Bob Ryder, president of the Chicago Federation of Labor, which has an ownership stake in Sometimes Media. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Fran. We, we've got to start by talking about this blockbuster indictment that came down last night. For the very first time, the federal government appears to have penetrated Mike Madigan's inner circle. Lobbyist Mike McLean, one of the speaker's closest friends in politics, served with him in the Illinois House, became a lobbyist after that for ComEd and others. He is indicted, along with former ComEd CEO Ann Promajuri, former City Club President Jay Darty, and former ComEd Executive John Hooker. Earlier this month, Bob, the CFL put out a statement reaffirming its support of Mike Madigan, who is under increasing pressure to step down both as Speaker of the House and Chairman of the Party of the Democratic Party in the state. Does this latest indictment change the CFL support for Mike Madigan? I can. Here's what I can tell you about Illinois. Let me first start there. We have one of the strongest prevailing wages in the country. We have car check neutrality in the public sector, which is something that we've been fighting for on the national level. We have some of the strongest laws that protect everyday working people here in the state of Illinois, which is one of the reasons why we have such a strong blue collar community here, not just in the Chicago area, but all around the state. And Mike Madigan, Speaker Madigan has been there uh, for all of it and has helped lead the way. I really can't speak to what's going on with Mr. McLean or with Ann Promajori, but I can tell you that in terms of the things that we work on down in Springfield, we've seen a lot of support for blue collar Chicago, and that isn't that hasn't changed. I understand how reluctant you are to give up on a man who has been there for labor throughout. But how can you ignore all of this that it, smoke that's around the speaker? He's coming 
dangerously close to losing the 60 votes he needs to hold on to the speakership. Why are you continuing to support him? Is it because you're afraid of losing his extraordinary fundraising, the strength that he has in delivering votes in the General Assembly, the remap, what who might come next and how weak they might be? What is it about this situation that makes you stay with him? Fran, the way I look at situations like this is the people that you've worked with to help make everyday people's lives better. You can't just walk away. You can't walk away from that situation. And it's especially in a situation like this where it's there's this appearance that's been created that may in fact be divorced from actual reality. So as you probably know, I'm an attorney. And when I look at when I look at every situation, I look at it through I look at it through two lenses. I look at it through the lenses, the lens that I was brought up. I grew up blue collar kid from the southwest uh, side of the far southwest side. I grew up in the Lockport Joliet area. Lockport's a suburb of Joliet, if you're if you're not familiar with it. And my mom, who was an emergency room nurse, my dad, who's a heavy equipment operator. And I also looked through it through the lens of, of being an attorney and analyzing thing, facts as they've been presented. And when I look through the blue-collar kids lens, I, I see people in Springfield who have fought to protect people like my parents, who pro- fought to protect people on the south and the west side of the city to create opportunities for working people. And then I look, and when I look through it as my, through the lens of that blue collar kid who was fortunate enough to go to law school here in the city, I, my view on things don't, doesn't change. Go, you need to support the people that continue to support you. And there's nothing so far that has shaken me off of that, to that stance. Last weekend, you and Mayor Lightfoot announced an agreement to cancel the 350 layoffs tied to her $12.8 billion budget. Instead of the layoff, she's talking about borrowing against future tax revenues generated by the sale of medical and recreational marijuana. How exactly did that come about? So we've been working to collaborate with the city for months. And the whole process started end of August, beginning of September, when we first started having preliminary discussions around the budget. We we sat down internally with our group of folks over here at, over here at the Federation, which includes our 300 affiliates, over 30 to 40 of them. Actually, it's more than that. If you look at it's probably a lot more than that because AFSCME actually is made up of a lot of different locals. So let's, let's say somewhere in the neighborhood of our 100, 100 some locals that make up the the federation at least and we started thinking about how we can how we can you know do things more efficiently and prevent prevent layoffs and service cuts by looking at the ways the city can can perform services better at the same time the lightfoot administration was engaged in the similar analytics They've been sharpening their pencils to figure out how they could also protect city services. I know that the announcement last week talked about the borrowing against the cannabis revenue. 
But I think another another dimension that I would add to this is we put out an efficiency and cost-saving study last week. And as the city remarked, there's some of the ideas that we presented, they're actually, they're already baking into the budget. And we hope that we gave the, those items a broader dimension. But also, this working this budget is not going to end when the, the budget passes next week. And there's savings that we're working on with the city through healthcare and through other purchase and lease rene- uh, renegotiations that I think will have impact on the budget as we work our way through it. So really, it came down to not just what's happening in this exact moment, but how we're going to set the course between now and next year as we work through this current budget and we help the mayor's office work through these last final days of putting the final product together and how we gear up for next year's budget. But hopefully we're going to be on the other side of this pandemic. Yeah, you suggested, among other things, a a big bone of contention for years, the ratio of employees reporting to a supervisor in city government and the huge number of city employees who earn more than $100,000. Instead of one for every seven employees, one supervisor to every seven employees, you're suggesting one for every 10 or 11. Is she doing that? I, I think it's something that they're that they're probably going to be looking at here very closely. The uh, baking that into the budget. One of the issues that I think all of us have had is timing, right? So we've been working very di- diligently on our span of control analysis, which refers to what you're talking about: the amount of frontline workers to supervisors. And I know that from having conversations with them in the last uh, couple of weeks, that they're also taking a hard look at it. And it's going to take it's going to take some implementation. What I'm hopeful for is, and and this is no guarantee of where it lands, but what I'm hopeful for is that as we work through this over the course of the next year, that we implement a change around uh, span of control, and that's a structural fix. That's not just a, that's not a one-time thing that could happen just for this budget. We proposed a, a span of control adjustment back in 2011. The Emanuel administration recognized that. It was included in uh, Mayor Emanuel's budget speech, as I recall. But there's these ba- the balance of the frontline workers to supervisors over time can be fluid. And now is another point where we need to take a look at it. So I, what we're hoping to do is now that as now that we're working, we're, we're moving forward to get this budget passed is to do all the follow up work on things that were in our report last week, including span of control, which, as you said, has been an issue that's been visited repeatedly over the years. You're also promising a follow-up report on revenue ideas, like what? There's things that I know that the city's looked at in the past, and we've actually worked with them on in Springfield. That's the real estate transfer tax and how that could be impacted. But there's a number of other things that, while I'm not ready to throw them out on the table right now, that oh, we've go been working ahead. On. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, that, but no, seriously, we've. We, the great thing about 
working in the labor movement in Chicago is we have a lot of smart people, people all the way from the rank and file up to the people who staff our staff our unions. And we've brought in our consultant that we've worked with in the past, Public Works. Public Works does this job for government all across the country. And we're it's a unique situation here in Chicago that they that they work directly with labor and that we've been able to contract with them. And Eric Schnur and his team over there, we've we've been kicking around different revenue levers that haven't been pulled here in Chicago. And by the way, our scene can be seen as uh, progressive revenue options. Can you tease a few? Uh, can you tease a few right now? I would do that, but there's. I'm proud. You'd have it's, to kill me. I, <laughs> I don't. We, we don't do that, Fran. We don't do that. Oh, okay. I'm joking. <laughs> With no layoffs in the budget, labor leaders are now lobbying their city council allies to support the budget, and I assume your calls had a lot to do with the 21 to 12 vote this week in the Finance Committee for Mayor Lightfoot's $200 million revenue package, which includes the $94 million property tax increase and annual increases tied to the cost of living. What is your elevator speech to these aldermen? If you look at what's happened over the course of the last eight, nine months since since we've been whacked by this COVID um, 19 pandemic we have seen the appreciation that the people of chicago have for frontline city workers right it bears itself out when you have those conversations with people who live in the neighborhoods these workers have been out there continuing to provide city services since the beginning of this pandemic while the rest of the city has been shutting down, these people have been showing up and doing their job. And the now is the time that we need to protect them. They've been protecting us. Now we need to protect them and protect the services that we provide. And when we talk about that with the aldermen. They're like, yeah, no, we get it. We get it. Not only do they, are they protecting the people who live in our wards, but they're also the people who who live in our wards. So I talking to them about their constituents, both from the from being city the beneficiary of city services during this extraordinary public health crisis to relating to them that they're actually the folks that help that that live in their communities. I think that's had an incredible impact on Alderman. What's your headcount right now? Does she have the votes? Uh, my sources tell me there could be as many as 20 no votes at least. You have a you have a 50 person city council. So what I'm looking at the yes votes and the uh, I'm not going to nail it down to a specific number, but I believe we have enough support to pass the budget. And here's the question that I would ask is who who does the question isn't whether we have the votes at this point to pass this budget. The question is, who's going to stand with us to pass the budget, right? The. A budget that protects city services, a budget that protects city workers. That's going to be a that's going to be a vote that you're going to want to be on. You're going to want to be part of. You're going to want to be part of that, and say that you were there to protect to protect the residents who live in these wards, the ones who receive the services, who depend on the services, and also to protect the people who deliver the services. Yeah, I think we've I think we've got the votes. 
And now it's it's now I, what we want to see is who's ready to stand with us. But there are a lot of question marks in this budget. This budget includes a $1.7 billion debt restructuring and refinancing and claims $949 million of the savings in the first two years. Aren't you worried about what happens when those one-time revenues, one-time savings are no longer available? Here's what I know, is that we, this is an extraordinary year right? We've, we now have two vaccines, at least two vac- vaccines that are headed to help us reopen, reopen our city. We now have hope that we're going to get some federal stimulus money in next year. But let's look at where we came from. Some people call it a once in a generation health crisis. It's one, it's a centennial event. Now is the time for us to do things that are extraordinary in order to protect the people of this city. In terms of what we need to do structurally to um, shore up future budgets, we're ready to do that work. And I believe that we've set the table by doing the, by doing our analytics. So the, bu- the budget also our- includes only about $100 million for retro active pay raises for police officers whenever that contract is finally settled, whether it's at the bargaining table or more likely in arbitration. But three years of back pay is more likely to cost $400 million. And where is that money going to come from? The In terms of like liabilities that the city may have for retro pay or other things that have, that have occurred over time, I'm confident that the city is going to be able to figure that out. I can't speak specifically to the back pay as it relates to to Lodge 7 or the or the other police units who recently settled their agreements. That's that's outside of my that's outside of my scope because they're they're independent of us, but I I know that the city will still have options to close those gaps because we're all going to work together on the broader financial issues that the city's uh, going to be uh, confronted with in the future. And again, it, it, it all comes back to setting the table to make sure that we have a strong, strong structural city budget that continues to provide the level of services that we provide today, if not increasing them. The, the city has been up and down in terms of what it's done to be able to have enough people on hand to keep the city moving. There's been periods of times where they've been able to increase hiring around the edges to to make sure that we're filling base vacancies versus versus cutting them and if you but if you look at the overall structure of our city workforce and where we're actually staffed up to this is not a a city workforce and government that is added by any means this is a lean mean city workforce and with the direction we need to head towards is making sure that we Get, get everything structurally sound so we can bring our workforce back up to a place where we're meeting the demand per capita rel- relative to other big cities. Mayor Lightfoot famously said that her strained relationship with the city council is because, quote, I don't buy votes. And yet she has been forced to make a series of concessions to get this passed. Why do you think she's been forced to do that? 
I don't think that it's that you're forcing anybody to do anything there. Everyone has a role to play in passing a city budget. The mayor's team puts together a proposed budget, presents it to the council. That's their job. They run the executive departments of the city, which deliver the frontline services. The aldermen, especially here in the city, have a are legislative, but also have a quasi executive role in that they help they help facilitate direct services when, within their wards. So it's unique because you have legislators who are more on the ground involved with the delivery of those services. So it's more about being in a space where you are proposing a budget and you're getting input and feedback to get everyone comfortable with where you're going. And I think that that's a necessary that's a necessary part of what needs to happen. Now, what's different about this budget than budgets that I've been a part of here with the city over the course of the last decade is the extent to what we've been we've been saddled with here in the last nine months. And that is, again, a global health crisis that impacts big cities like you wouldn't believe, especially a city like Chicago that is has the world has North America's largest convention center. We're a huge tourist de- destination for for families and, and couples who are taking vacations year round. I personally know people that I work with in the labor movement who are from other parts of the other parts of the world who come to Chicago on a regular basis so they can come here, enjoy the lakefront, have be in a big city where they can still actually get in a car and drive around because you can't do that in New York or LA. And of course, Fran, we have the best pizza and Italian beef sandwiches in not just in the country, in the world by far. Having, and then on top of this public health crisis, having an incompetent, just this extremely incompetent president, right? Who is, whose level of ridiculousness, I don't think we've ever seen in this country. And not being able, and having to, While we're dealing with all this other stuff, not getting sufficient support from the federal government and actually having to take him on publicly because he's obsessed with the fact that people in big cities know how ridiculous he is. That's just. I'm sorry. Let's talk about the the four pension funds, though closer to home, which are now in such bad shape, Mayor Lightfoot says they are literally selling off assets to meet their obligations. Statutory payments will be going up next year by something like $400 million to meet that ramp that is required by law. Where is that money going to come from? Uh, Mayor Emanuel, if you recall, pushed through the largest property tax hike in Chicago history for police and fire pensions. He pushed through two telephone tax hikes for the laborers' pension fund and a 29.5% water surcharge for the municipal pension fund. Aren't the phone tax and water surcharges going to have to be raised? I I can't speak specifically to that. I know that we're going to have to uh, sit down to together to figure out how we can put together uh, revenue for the city across the board, regardless of any specific one driver. What I will say is that for decades, city workers were paying their part of the pension formula. And when we hit you know certain levels, 
the some of these funds were between 90 and 100 percent funded the city the city took a, a break for putting in the employer side of it now all those payments were based on you just said statutory formulas they were based on statutory formulas and our some of our funds now are based on actual actuarially required contributions which if we would have been on from the get-go we wouldn't be in the situation that we were in when those when we made the change to them a few years ago not pensions are good sound ways to provide retirement for for workers not just city workers but for workers the thing that we have to keep focused on is that you can't treat them as a line item that's not tied to what your obligation is as you're going as you're going through it i feel confident that we will be able to continue to protect the pensions of city workers who paid their share of the of towards those funds i am confident that we are going to fully make this transition to an actuarially uh, required contribution is do we have a lot of things happening all at once right now yes we do but when everybody is moving in the same direction in the city and we recognize that the heart and soul of the city are working people and that's it doesn't matter if we're talking about the hotel workers from unite from unite here the city workers our folks from the building and construction trades the healthcare workers that SEIU represents and just the everyday working class chicagoan we working with government and working with our civic partners we can figure it out the funding solution for police and fire pensions is supposed to be the Chicago casino. Doesn't that mean it needs to go somewhere in the downtown area or very close to it to maximize revenue? Where? What is your preferred site? I think that the casino needs to go somewhere where it can take advantage of our vibrant, our vibrant tourism and hospitality business. Casinos are a huge attraction for people who are out-of-town visitors. I think that having proximity to the airports and to other entertainment is critical. I also think that being mindful of opportunities that we have to both take advantage of that location and make it integrate into our tourism and hospitality business could also provide, if we don't put it just you know, directly in the middle of the central business district, but put it somewhere in proximity. We can also grow some neighborhood economy somewhere around the outer ring of the of what we already know is is successful. So, so you know, where I know, would you like to see it? Navy Pier, uh, North Lee Island, McCormick Place East. Where? I I don't want to speak for everybody in the labor movement, so let me just offer that as a caution because I'm sure that there's people that I represent that may have differing opinions about where it needs to go specifically. But I think but I think focusing on locations that help us continue to build up an economy around the South and West side, which all, but also still draw off all of the, all of the great assets are to complement the great assets we have 
in the around the edges of our I say it's a central business district, but it's also it's also the tourism district for between McCormick Place, between McCormick Place and Wrigley Field. But I think focusing on a place where we can still have room to develop the economy, which is around the south and west side, would be ideal. You but can't I don't want give to me a site now. Something that but, there aren't that many big enough, really. Yeah, here, here, there. I think the places. I think the places where. I, here's what I don't want to do, Fran. Is I don't want to foreclose any opportunity because I, I have above average intelligence. My there's a lot of people listening to this right now that are laughing. By the way, they they probably think I have average at best intelligence, but there, there. I just anecdotally, I think a location that would take that would utilize some of the open open ex industrial area on the south and west side but it has to be part of a thoughtful planning process it needs to be able to still be accessible for folks who are who are visiting whether it be McCormick place or whether they're in for a ball game at the world's greatest baseball stadium and that's uh, guaranteed rate field or people who are coming in for events at Soldier Field just being able to take advantage of that would be a missed opportunity, but we also need to help small business owners and neighborhoods along the south and west side and make sure that when we're looking at where we put this casino, that we have a plan to engage with those communities so that they can see the benefit from it. Bob Ryder, Chicago Federation of Labor, thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe out there and good luck on the budget boat next week. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, Fran.